Welcome to the next episode of The Counselling Corner. I uh, just wanted to start by saying Happy New Year. Thanks for joining me again in the new year. Hopefully everyone had a uh, re-energising and restful break um, from from uh, all the chaos that was 2022. Um, we do have some exciting things, as I said last year, planned this year. So, I wanted to kick off this year with a really exciting and special guest. Um, today, we'll, we will be joined by Sally, my very good friend and soon-to-be partner in crime in the counselling field. Um, so, thank you, Sally, for joining me. How are you going today? Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me on as a guest today and then kicking start our co-hosting career in future. Yes. Um, Happy New Year, everyone, and thanks for having me on board. Great. Thank you so much. Um, So, uh, just so there's no surprises, we're going to just go through a little bit of Sally's um, experience and and, uh, history and adventure in the the counselling field and and a little bit about, you know, where she kind of specialises in and where she's leaning towards um, and a little bit about her her experience in certain fields. Um, So, please... um, um, let us know if you have any questions or comments or feedback. Um, we are very open to um, all of the feedback and questions and we will do our best to answer any of your questions. Um, so please do that via the number, which is 0493-213-831. Once more, 0493-213-831. Great. So I guess we'll start with uh, first, firstly, how we met. What was your perspective of that? Um, okay. Well, it was uh, so many moons ago yes, now, wasn't it? It was. Um, okay. The picture I have of how me, we met, I think we were in practice counselling with Zoha. Mm-hmm. And I just saw you straight away. And I think I went and sat next to you. And I would have complained about the class at the time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But is that... What you have, is that similar to you? Yeah, I think it is. It was definitely in Zohar's class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think we hit it off because we'd both studied psychology. Yes. And weren't going into psychology. So I was really intrigued about what that was all about for you as well. Mm. And then we just really hit it off. Yeah. I just thought Mandy was a lot of fun. (laughs) I thought she was so cool. She was so cheeky at the time. (laughs) Still is. (laughs) Well, very professional now. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, I definitely remember, um, you know, just being so impressed and, and intrigued by you. Uh, so I think we, you know, we, we, 
did lunches together during classes and yeah. did snacks and coffees and and um, would just share each other's stories. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, and the rest is history. Yeah. And now we're going on a different adventure. Yes, a um, different one. Yeah, partners in crime yes. for sure. She did venture off a little bit in the last few years. Yes, and, but I'm always one to be very excited for for people around me, people I care about. And I thought that you know, sort of seeing her journey a little bit on social media, she'd post some stuff. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. I'm so happy for her. So, uh, you know, it's always exciting to see my friends do all of that, um, you know. Yeah. Like that, yeah. Well, we did come together. So, recently we were both mm. working at the break at the yes. same time and had yeah. no idea. That's how I did a bit of a double take. I was like, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> same place. What is yeah. – I was so shocked. I'm like, yeah. this is definitely a sign yeah. from the universe or mm. something that we need to continue on together. Absolutely, for sure. So, um, tell us a bit about what, what you do now. What What's sort of your place in the field? Okay. Good question. So, I finished with my postgraduate studies, mm-hmm. but still currently enrolled in my master's. So, hopefully that will be done with at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm currently working at the Australian Institute of Music mm-hmm. as a wellbeing counsellor. Um, shout out to Robert Brennan and the wellbeing team. He's working from Sydney, but we're pretty close and he's an amazing supervisor. Um, I also work at UFIRST as a case manager, psychosocial recovery coach, counsellor, support coordinator, and I do a little bit of recruitment as well. So pretty good on the resume, Mm -hmm. different roles, and it keeps me definitely interested and active. Um, Plus I still volunteer at the break. Um, it's a non-for-profit that speaks predominantly to low socioeconomic groups mm-hmm. and NDIS participants mm-hmm. um, that have, you know, mild, moderate to severe mental health issues, as yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much what mm-hmm. I'm doing at the moment. Pretty right. jam-packed. Yeah. And now the counselling corner. So, yes. excited yeah. for what's to come. Yes, that's very exciting. And It sounds like you're doing quite a bit. How are yes. you finding all of that? I love it. Mm. Um, I've always been that type of person that can take on many roles, but I think it's just to get a lot of different experiences and really trial and error and to see where I mm. want to go, where yeah. I fit in. Yeah. But I think in future it will hone in a little yeah. bit more yeah. and I'll yeah. find my way. There'll be some direction. Absolutely, direction. Yeah. yeah. Great, thank you. Um, so we're going to go into a little bit about your journey to becoming a counsellor. I'm not sure if, if the audience or anyone listening can remember my first episode, I kind of went through my own um, experiences and, and sort of w- how I got to the place where I am today or, or back then in that first episode. So um, I wanted to sort of explore a little bit um, with you before mm-hmm. um, about you know where you've came yeah um we will do that um before we get into that i will just play one of the ads for everyone oi 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 iga is shopping nice iga where the price is right seaford north iga for your groceries and liquor iga express there's nothing quicker All right, thanks for that, boys. Um, so yeah, so let's let's get into a little bit about um, history. You know, where you've come, how have you kind of got to where you are today? 
Okay, sure. So I guess I'll start talking a little bit about myself and my journey into counselling and psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. Um, My interest in psychology first really sparked when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was studying psychology in VCE Mm -hmm. and I was absolutely enthralled in the subject and loved learning about the mind and how it affects one's behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was particularly interested in Sigmund Freud. I just found his theory was so controversial Mm -hmm. at the time and I just wanted to know what that was all about. I found his work so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess Freud's theories on the unconscious and how one's deepest and darkest thoughts influence your behavior, it was just so new and exciting for me to learn. Even now, I guess Sigmund Freud's theories and work have really helped shape current views of, you know, dreams, childhood personality, memories, sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his psychoanalytic theory is an excellent place to start mm-hmm. for people to really want to know what psychology is mm-hmm. all about. He's mm-hmm. a great forefather. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's just laid the foundation for many other theorists to really yeah. formulate their ideas and have you know an appreciation for his work Hmm. um yeah so i just i think freud revolutionized how we think about and treat mental health conditions Hmm. and then you know changed it was all relative and in context it changed with so many other theorists like carl rogers what we learned about in counseling Mm -hmm. so that's really interesting but he definitely started it all up Mm -hmm. um yeah, so anyway, because of my interest in Freud's psychoanalysis, I then went to learn psychology mm-hmm. at the Australian Catholic University mm-hmm. for my bachelor. Mm-hmm. I found that I really liked learning about cognitive behavioural therapy, but I felt that there was something missing for me mm-hmm. in the theories. Mm-hmm. I couldn't quite put my finger on it at the time. Um, but yeah, I just I couldn't wrap my head around cognitive behavioural therapy mm-hmm. because it's based on you know a dysfunction in your thoughts feelings physical yeah. sensations yeah um but yeah i just i wanted to know a little bit more about that yeah um but i didn't continue with my fourth year yeah in my bachelor mm-hmm. i wanted to really find out you know what my self-identity was all about formulate that mm-hmm. so after i studied uh, after I finished studying my bachelor in psychology, mm-hmm. I decided not to continue with fourth year honors, mm-hmm. and I did a post grad in journalism. Mm-hmm. And I actually was working a little bit for Beat Magazine. I don't know if you know Beat Magazine, writing about belt. musicians. Okay, so yeah, I did that yeah. for a little bit. Nice. Uh, the course still wasn't enough for me. Didn't quite sit right yeah, still something something missing. was missing yeah. so i spent the next five years or so traveling mm-hmm. and i worked in human resources mm-hmm. recruitment fashion and design yeah uh, i still love that that's mm-hmm. a massive hobby for me especially yeah. fashion yeah. um in 2018 i just decided that i wanted to go back to uni and do a postgrad in counseling mm-hmm. i met a counselor who also studied psychology mm-hmm. so they were on the same pathway as both of us right. And um, I remember her saying that psychology didn't work for her as well, Mm. but that I'd really like psychotherapy and counselling and it would feed my soul. So I was really curious as to what she meant by that. And it resonated with me at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when I enrolled and I met you. So that's been my journey. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of up to getting into the the post-grad. Yeah. Um, What has the last few years, what has that been 
sort of involved? What, what have you been sort of doing up until this point? Since the post-grad? Yeah. Um, okay, so like in terms of work or... Yeah, your experiences sort of thing. Um, um, I don't know. So I guess the last few years has really been trial and error for me. Yeah. Um, I want to develop my toolbox mm-hmm. and my style. Yeah. So I've just been doing a lot of different roles, like mm. what I've already spoken about. Yeah. And really what... I want to learn, so what I have been learning in the last few years is really what my experiences have been about, what my emotions are, what my values are, Mm -hmm. my beliefs and spirituality has been fundamental on my journey Mm -hmm. and that's what I've been doing the last few years since our post-grad and now I'm enrolled in my master's so I'm continuing on the academic life. Yeah, the journey continues. The journey. Yes, which... I think I've mentioned before, doesn't really end. No, it's <laughs> ongoing. It's ongoing. Definitely. Um, you know, there's always something else to learn and, and be fulfilled by. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like, you know, sort of a, a great mix of, of different things. And, um, you know, I've always said, that, you know, Sally is someone that's very well-travelled, not only kind of geographically, but I feel like in, in different sectors and spaces in life, you know, she's kind of you know, put some foots in, in different areas. So I thought, you know, I think that's just really, um, you know, important and aspirational. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's actually who you are essentially is so fundamental mm. to being a really good therapist. Yeah. Um, it's your experiences that really shape and help you understand humanity mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Because I think personally, if you don't have those experiences or knowledge, it's yeah. harder yeah. to understand who's sitting in front of you. Yeah, yeah. And it's harder to connect to that person. Mm-hmm. I mean, on a human level, we can all connect, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. if you've got that knowledge, it's definitely a plus. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so thank you all for all of that. Um, so, another another question I wanted to talk about um, was um, being being in the counselling space. What, how has that felt for you? What is that like for you? Okay, that's a really good question, Amanda. Thanks for asking that. Mm. Uh, for me, I get a lot of meaning from my role as a counsellor. I feel constantly rewarded when I have supported someone that's going through a challenging time in their life. Mm. Um, I get such a high from it, really, making a positive difference in someone's life, and I hope that's not selfish to say, but I do get something in return, yeah. um, especially with my NDIS clients. Mm-hmm. So NDIS, for those that don't know, deals with people with a disability Mm -hmm. um, and I really enjoy helping them navigate the world Um, it really brings me a lot of joy especially connecting them to life-changing supports that will give them full capacity that's so important for me Mm -hmm. and increasing their independence to live a life full of choice and control Mm. Um, but I do think that it's really important to talk about how counsellors at the end of the day are human beings as well Mm Um, and it's really important for counsellors to take care of yourself and put up boundaries with your clients when you feel overwhelmed or compromised. Yeah. For me, I have a really strict self-care routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of the activities I like to do is, this is so cliche, but taking a long walk mm-hmm. and listening to music to really wind down and feel connected to myself yeah. is so important for me. Mm. I also go to the gym. I go to Reformer Pilates mm-hmm. to release excess energy. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, 
everyone should have a self-care routine because taking the time to do things that help you live well Mm -hmm. and improve both your physical health, especially in managing your stress and anxiety, even depression is really important. Yeah, for everyone. Absolutely. Who you are, what job you have for everyone, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree for sure. Thank you for that. Mm now, yeah, so the next the next topic we are going to go into and I will just play an ad before we do um, is um, looking at – Sally has, has had some experience in um, – the, the, she works at, at AAM, the Australian Institute of Music, and, and has been sort of within the crowds of the music industry and the fashion industry. What I'm interested in, in is what – what have you kind of noticed in terms of the mental health status mm-hmm. of the of the um, of the that kind of industry, whether it's music or fashion, mm-hmm. um, and also how has COVID impacted that? What what have you kind of seen? Um, so we'll just go into that just after an ad break. Hey everyone, we're Friday Night Frothies. What's it all about? It's about laughter and not taking yourself too seriously. Ah, it's about sports and current events. And we might even introduce you to some different beers. So tune in live Friday nights. Or listen to our podcast at radiocarum.org. You know you've got nothing better to do. Bang. Thanks for that. Um, just before we get into what we're going to talk about, um, just let everyone know that they can text or call in. Um, that The number again is 0493 213831. 0493 213831. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so let us know if you have any questions or, if, you know, how you're finding um, Sally's journey so far. Um, or any kind of comments or whatever, we're always sort of open for that. Um, yeah, so, so tell me a bit about what, what the trends are in terms of the, you know, the, the mm-hmm. music and the fashion industry. Okay, so in terms of trends, what I've really noticed during the COVID lockdowns um, is just how the government really neglected creatives, in my opinion, especially musicians during that time, uh, which in effect affected their mental health so like you know I have a lot of friends in the fashion and music industry and it was really hard for me to watch them or even read posts on social media where they could not earn their bread and butter for almost two years Uh, as you know retail was shut down gigs were cancelled and it bothered me because the government was not prioritizing these careers as essential uh, which is really hard to watch I mean, if you think about it really, the entertainment industry is just such a massive support system for so many people. I mean, when you're sad and lonely, it's so easy to just put a song on and instantly find the support and connection you need from talented artists. Mm -hmm. So this is really fundamental and we need to look after and support these types of people. Um, What I noticed in terms of trends is that depression was on the rise during this time, which led to a high risk of suicidality um, in an industry that you know is already under spotlight from stress and mental health previously, um, which really challenged the resilience of many of these people. Yeah. People who are creative find their outlet through performance and once that was no longer allowed really impacted them Mm -hmm. as their identity was essentially tempered with. There was a few studies done, especially one that can stand out, where um, 
63.5% of Australia's performing artists did report actually worsening mental health during this time because their artistic practice was compromised, mm-hmm. which led to a lot of musicians to find different career paths, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was hard to read about and watch as well. Um, I've seen a trend for many of my students at the Australian Institute of Music, which have reported several levels of depression during and after the COVID lockdowns. Yeah. Freelance artists especially found themselves ex- excluded from government supports such as JobKeeper, mm-hmm. which is annoying and disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for many artists, it will be a long recovery process uh, for their career and health. Yeah. And I think now is the time to really get by and support them and, c- and consider how the industry can build back stronger post-COVID mm-hmm. um, areas in the arts by funding them, um, giving them low cost or free mental health and really us as well to encourage and support artists by even going to a gig or buying local made art. Mm. So I think we should all get behind them and support them. Yeah, sort of a group effort that we all need to support them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's definitely... You know, I know the music industry is such a big part of, of, you know, our society today and maybe even in history it's such a an amazing outlet for people to not only for the providers of these creativity to have that outlet to express themselves in that kind of way but also the people receiving it absolutely it's a two-way effort isn't it it's a two-way win-win situation so i think you know it's a really important place to really focus on and give them the support that they need yeah i completely agree with that amanda thank you for sure um so, given that that is what you've seen mm-hmm. and noticed in the trends and things like that, um, the next topic I want to talk about um, <laughs> is um, is a little bit about how you have found the approaches in, in mental health and how you've approached some of these issues, um, a little bit of your theoretical leanings, what what you tend to lean towards. You did mention a little bit about how CBT kind of was missing something there for you. I so, did. Um, you know, looking at what, what what else have you kind of been used, what, what's been helpful for you, what's helpful for some of your clients or some of your friends or whoever you've kind of provided this approach to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll just go into that and just play one more ad before we do. Okay. If you're down Caraway, just call Mitchell Tall. Or in Patterson Lakes, just call Mitchell Tall. Anywhere Bayside, just call Mitchell Tall. Buy a summer house, just call Mitchell Tall. Mitchell Tall. Tall, tall, tall. Real estate. Oh, yeah, real little real estate. We want more. We've done it. One take. Alrighty, so yeah, tell me a bit about your theoretical kind of experience approaches and where you kind of lean towards. Mm-hmm. So like I said earlier, I'm still heavily developing my toolbox. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very early on in my career, as you know, mm-hmm. and it is a journey of developing and, you know, just getting new knowledge and finding out what really fits you and develop your own style. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important. Um, But at the moment, I'd love to talk to you today about the type of modalities I like to use at AIM with my students. Um, So with AIM, (coughs) being a music college, 
Um, initially, I was using CBT with AIM students, but I found that just wasn't fitting. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't put them into the CBT modality mm-hmm. only. Mm-hmm. Um, my students are extremely creative. Mm-hmm. Um So I try to incorporate strategies that they would be interested in and modalities where the sessions are brief because I don't have that long with some of my students um, and can offer them solutions in the long and short term. Um, I try not to be very directive in the sessions and probe the students to find their own solutions as I find this approach the most effective for change because also it's a school environment so I love to use brief therapy. So as you know, it's solution-focused therapy strategies such as the PERMA model Mm -hmm. um, which is written by Martin Seligman which promotes well-being and it is more strengths-based. Mm-hmm. So what that means, um, so solution-focused therapy doesn't concentrate too much on the past like other modalities, although I do still look at the past and offer this as a reflective activity if need be, such as if someone's presenting with trauma or PTSD or if they've got attachment style issues that were developed in childhood. Um, I do use a family of origin questionnaire which is about reflecting on the past and putting together a new narrative that can be less traumatizing mm-hmm. um so yeah. this reflective activity can be done in, in i i think it would be about three or four sessions and we go really deep into the past right. so it's a psychodynamic activity yeah. um but Yeah, my sessions, which each student involves about four to six sessions most of the time, however, and we work on presenting issues such as stress, Mm -hmm. general and performance anxiety, depression and mental health issues such as PTSD, Mm. bipolar and personality disorders. I find that solution-focused therapy is great to develop a mindset of effective Mm -hmm. problem-solving. Solution-focused therapy can also help you learn skills in life by understanding how the brain works while focusing on the skills and resources Mm -hmm. around you. You did did mention, sorry to interrupt, something about performance anxiety. Mm -hmm. Could you briefly just explain what that looks like? Yeah, sure. So... What is oh, – how do I put this into theory? So, you put me on the spot. Sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah. So, performance anxiety is anxiety, but it mainly occurs with those that are performing. So, it can happen to really anyone. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have experienced anxiety in the past. Yeah. Um, so, it can happen to musicians, athletes, anyone that's really performing. Mm-hmm. Um, so – A lot of my students with performance anxiety, so it's actually quite crippling. Mm. They cannot go on stage. So they might experience a pulsing heart, like pulsing heart, um, sweating. One of uh, my students actually has complete brain frog or they freeze and they cannot go on stage. So, yeah, yeah, I'll speak a little bit more about that. Um, But Mm. that's pretty much what performance anxiety is about. Yeah, that's okay. So now I've lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Um, So looking at solution focused. Yeah, Yeah. so solution focused, my favourite type 
of strategy at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I do use other modalities. Yeah. So I, I still use cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. I use a lot of mindfulness and creative therapy as well, such as yeah. art, play and yeah. music therapy mm-hmm. to really investigate your thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Um, and I like to help externalize them and bring them to the surface. Mm-hmm. So especially art therapy is really fun yeah. um, when you're creative and you know, or you have a difficult time communicating what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we put on some music and then we just draw what's in our unconscious mm-hmm. and it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a really spiritual moment. Mm-hmm. And then we just have a chat, really. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Yeah. What, what, and just discover. It's all about self-discovery. Yeah. And um, just to really get what's off your ch- on your chest, you know. So I enjoy using creative therapy. Mm-hmm. But I'll speak a little bit about the PERMA model because mm-hmm. I think that's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. So anyone that's interested in overall well-being, mm-hmm. um, if you Google PERMA model or Martin Seligman, mm-hmm. there's just so much about it at the moment. Um, actually, some of the best schools in Australia, like Geelong Grammar, mm-hmm strictly use Martin Seligman's theory on well-being through the PERMA model in their schools. Mm-hmm. So I implement this yeah. at the college as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll break it down really simply. He focuses on five pillars of well-being that can really help you flourish mm-hmm. as a human being. Um, so PERMA, what does it stand for? So P, it stands for positive emotions, which is really the idea that the more positive activities you do, the more you increase your positive emotions, thus increasing your well-being. So that can be any feel-good activity that you can do. Um, the more you incorporate that in your day-to-day life, the more you'll actually start feeling those positive emotions. Uh, E stands for engagement, which means participating in activities that are so engaging that you lose track of time, which can increase your happiness. Um, So I was saying to Amanda before that her partner, Will, he does this really well because he's so engaged. One of his hobbies is music and he can just be so engaged in that and lose track of time. So I was giving her an example of it before. Mm. But yeah, that's just like doing an activity where it's just – yeah, like you are losing track of time and by the time you realise it, it's been three hours. Mm. So he thinks that can increase your well-being. Yeah. R stands for relationships. This is pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, it just means having meaningful and solid relationships around you yeah. that can increase your happiness by offering love and support. Mm-hmm. Um so this is always a task that I give or a homework task that I give to my clients. Like yeah. when was the last time you saw a family member or a really good friend? And a lot of the times you don't even realize it, but you haven't seen yeah. them in a few weeks or yeah. a few months. Mm-hmm. So it's good to set a date with them yeah. and build those relationships. Mm-hmm. M stands for meaning, which means doing things or having pursuits that you find important and bring meaning to your life. Mm-hmm. So that's working on a goal that is so important and meaningful to you. Um, Some of the examples I can give for that is like, you know, helping out in charities, thinking about something other than yourself Mm -hmm. as well, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, 
ask yourself questions. What's my life mean? What are my goals are? Mm. What are my dreams? This is all really important. And how can I help others? Mm. Because it's not just about me at the same time. Mm. And days for accomplishment, which is really defining your goals and how these goals can be achieved. Mm. Um, so goal setting is really important in my sessions with clients. We yeah. do it really early on, but yeah. we goal set after every couple of sessions yep. as well. Yep. And then, you know, we go back and we'll have you achieved these goals or how are you progressing to achieve these goals? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something I use. And, you know, it's a really big strategy and solution focus because yep. it can put you in the right direction of life as well. Yeah. Um, I do find this strategy so effective with my students because we create weekly tasks, like I said before, where we can focus on activities that fit this PERMA framework. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic, really, truly, to implement Seligman's PERMA theories as because it is also evidence-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about living a life that's full of meaning and happiness. Mm-hmm. And it really especially resonates with my music clients because a lot of them do choose to live a more hedonistic life, mm-hmm. which is okay. You can't tell them yeah. that's good or bad. Yeah. But, you know, offering them a strategy that supports doing these pleasurable activities mm-hmm. really does because they focus so much more on joy than pain mm-hmm. really helps them out. Yeah. Um, so, unlike cognitive behavioral therapy, yes. I do still like it, but yeah. I think there's more to learn. Sure. I agree. Um, it focuses only on reframing negative schemas and thoughts and strength-based strategies like the PERMA focus on so much more, in my opinion, like culture, values, relationships, the environment, spirituality, and does recognise that people are multifaceted mm-hmm. and it's not just about a, dis- a dysfunction in yeah. the way you think, behave or feel. Yeah. It's about so much more. Yeah. Um, But I still use branches of cognitive behavioural modality, such as mindfulness Mm -hmm. and exposure therapy especially. I know we were talking about performance anxiety when you put me on the spot. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, um, performance anxiety, it is panic attacks at the end of the day. Mm. So I use exposure therapy well mindfulness to relax the person. So we do some strategies. um, But performance with the exposure therapy sometimes there has have been a few clients that I've used this with mm. and will go and actually sit at the stage where they're performing yeah and will sit in the space right. um, I find that this is quite um, effective because it builds their confidence yep. and then they can just sit there and analyze what's going on around them because if you've got that knowledge, mm-hmm. You know, you feel less anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I use exposure therapy. Mm-hmm. And um, mindfulness, I just absolutely love my. Have, do you use mindfulness much? I do. You yes. do? Mm-hmm. How do you incorporate? Well, I. Because I, I work from a more solution focused brief as well. Therapy yeah. <laughs> you know, at my work. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm sure I've spoken about it before. Mm-hmm. I usually just recommend and give them some resources about some exercises mm-hmm. and strategies that they can use or practice, you know, when they're, you know, doing the laundry or just, you know, any time that they can or even just mindfulness walking or, yeah. um, you know, really kind of providing them with the information so that they can take it away and do it themselves. Mm-hmm. I haven't yet kind of used 
kind of done mindfulness in sessions, but yep. I hope to do it one day, yeah. Okay, it's really effective. Yeah. I have because some of, like, one of my clients or some of my, I shouldn't go into too much detail yeah. because of confidentiality, All but good. they most students have a massive performance at the end of the year and yeah. that's what they get marked mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so just before leading up to that performance, in sessions we will work with some yeah. mindfulness exercises mm. and the strategy is like especially for anxiety and yeah. performance anxiety is really focusing on your breathing so I found that one of the feedback that I have received because I always ask how's it going because it yeah. might not work for everyone yeah. and it's good to know if it is effective yeah, yeah. um so some of the mindfulness activities I do is the body scan so I'll just play it Mm. in a session and we'll just sit there and like it's really great because they'll ask for oh can I have the link to that it was Uh so effective but breathing exercises um, have you ever heard of resonant breathing I have not okay so it's also called coherent breathing Um, it's been proven to calm anxiety and Mm. really get into a relaxed state Um, it's really simple to do so usually I'll get the client to lay down and close their eyes and gently breathe in through their nose um, mouth closed for about six seconds Um, but it's important not to fill your lungs completely with air and then you exhale out for six seconds and you allow your breath to leave your body slowly and gently Mm -hmm. Um, and we do this for about 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and then afterwards we take a few additional minutes to really be still and focus on how the body feels Uh, this has been such a really useful technique and I find it goes generally um, it does generally help generally help to ease your nerves Um, yeah and like I said exposure therapy it has been really great yeah. as well for yeah. performance anxiety. Yeah, I've, I've said this before that, you know, that there's so many techniques and strategies out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to say, you know, I've said it before, not everything works with everyone. So um, that's why we kind of emphasize that it, it has a general effect on, um, you know, whatever research that they've done on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it doesn't always work with everyone. No, it doesn't. So, and that's yeah. why it's important to have your toolbox because yeah. – I will have moments with clients where I'll introduce, you know, a strategy to them and mm-hmm. they don't even want to learn. Yeah. They're just there maybe just for support. Yeah. Or yeah. like someone to talk to. And th- yeah. that's okay as well. So if a strategy doesn't work for mm-hmm. someone, I'm definitely interested in finding out what does. So yeah. if I build that toolbox, I yeah. can just like Mary yeah. Poppins <laughs> whip strategies yes. out of nowhere and just hi- hope to find a fit that will work for yeah. you. Yeah. So that's what we're really secretly doing behind yes. the background, yes. behind the yes, closed doors. Yeah. We're sitting there and trying to work out what will work for you. Yeah. And the only way you can really do that is have the most – effective therapeutic relationship you can have with that person where you can just completely get to know them and really understand them yeah because what might work for you might not work for me exactly and these strategies that i've introduced into this into this session now is really showing you what has worked Mm. predominantly with my clients yeah so obviously i use other strategies and you know it, it is tailored case by case with yeah. every single client yeah but generally this is the feedback great like this is the feedback I have gotten from these clients that it has worked so yeah, yeah for sure um 
thank you for, for all of that. It is really interesting, I think, um, for this show especially to, I guess, explore. I mean, I, mean, I did a, a, an episode on some of the theories, the history of the theories, the roller coaster that was. Um, so I think kind of going a little bit into what, what you found has been helpful, um, you know, for, for some of the people that you've been helping, um, you know, suggest that, that these are sort of some sometimes effective mm-hmm. um effective strategies that people can use and and not even um you know it's it's probably not even mainly about the strategies although Mm -hmm. it can help but as as sally has suggested that it's you know the rapport you can build and the relationship Mm -hmm. you can have with a counselor or with your client as a counselor Mm -hmm. um that can really foster some really healthy um behaviors and mindsets Mm. and um so i think it's you know good to see ways that you know different ways to approach that for sure yeah and Actually, one of the first few things that I do um, when I'm assessing a client right at the start is to see what the protective factors are, to see what their support systems are around them, who their friends are, who their family members are, Mm -hmm. you know, what their interests are, what their hobbies, what do they do to find peace? Because I feel as though 80% of time should be spent on protective factors and building your support system around you because that is – essentially the only thing that will help your well-being yeah yep. so i always say how can you help a client um you know this is going back to maslow's hierarchy of needs you know if you have a look at the bottom it's all about security and um food and shelter and basic survival necessities mm-hmm. and then right at the top is reaching your fullest potential and confidence yep. so they put that at the top yep. because how can you achieve that yep. without having the foundations laid out first mm-hmm. which is your support systems if yep. you don't have shelter how are you going to worry about fixing your attachment style yeah in the past yeah. Yeah, so that's sure. the first thing i do i assess my clients based on that mm-hmm. and if they're lacking in those areas will work with those areas first mm. and then we'll move up the hierarchy of needs right. and then help them reach their fullest potential. Great. Great, yeah. So you feel like you use um, that – you sort of um, – uh, dabble in a little bit of that Maslow's hierarchy kind of when we're – Yeah, I do. Yeah. A lot of people – I think uh, like a lot of especially researchers mm-hmm. are against Maslow's hierarchy of needs because they think it's so basic. Yeah. But – Sometimes it's those basic knowledge yeah. that you need. Like yeah. if you put it in front of your client, yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. obvious, you know, and sometimes yeah. you need a reminder of those things. Exactly. And clients are not there to learn the history of theories and no. what the research is. They're there to get some direction and, and actually have a person – you know to connect to and it's you know and it's our job as as counselors to know all of that yeah but to use it in a way that is helpful for the client yeah absolutely yeah, for sure so um i guess just one more thing i wanted to um look uh look into um next is uh, a little bit of sort of your views leanings in in the ethics situation Mm -hmm. Um, but before we get into that we have just received a text message so I'll just read that out okay okay so just a a message from Eleanor long time listener of this radio Karen 
Thank you for Drum that. Roll. She said, I'm all for hierarchy of needs. Sometimes it's good to go back to the basics. I totally agree. Yes, I do agree with that. Yes. Even though a lot of people are opposed and they think it's a little bit dated. Yes. I think it's a great place to start. Yeah. And then work your way up. For sure. And even that, that word dated, I think with a lot of the theories, even with Freud, you can really relate to yeah. what, what he's saying and with Maslow and things like yeah, that. Yeah, well, it's all about context, really. Absolutely. So the way I look at theories is it they were fitting for those times. Mm-hmm. So if you think about Freud, it was he speaks a lot about sexuality mm-hmm. and repression because mm-hmm. those times were so religious. Yeah. And, you know, people were repressing their emotions and thoughts and, yeah. like, sex was frowned upon mm-hmm. or seen as shameful. Yeah. Um, so he really opened up the box for a lot of his audience. Yeah, yeah. And then if you think about Carl Rogers, which is what we learned about, mm. and I thought that was a little bit dated, to be honest, yeah. myself, yeah. Um, some of Rogers' uh, theories. Yeah. But if you think about it, he when was he around the 80s, I think it was. Yeah. So that was like post-war mm. for a lot of people. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of men especially were hiding their feelings. Yeah. So that's what he helped. He helped people really yeah. bring out what was going on for them yeah. then. Yeah. But, you know, you can still relate to some of their theories. Like mm. Rogers, like who, empathy, it's such yeah. an important thing Absolutely. to have yeah. or uncondi- unconditional positive regard. So yeah. I think it's important to just look at them mm. at face value yeah. and then take bits and pieces and then yeah. form Whatever your own. Be and I think that's why we all like solution focus at the mm. moment mm-hmm. because yep. you can really put it in today's world. Yeah. People don't have a lot of time. No. They might not have a lot of money for, no, for especially, yeah. you know, for counselling. Yeah. You've got to pay it outright. So, yeah. And if you go through like Freud's therapy. program, you yeah, like it might take two years. Every, no, he's, I think his was like I think it was twice a week. week. Twice a week yeah, for twice 10 a week. years. 10 years, he's, there yeah, you go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> actually my Robert Brennan shouted again. Mm. He's such a great supervisor at AIM. Yeah. He does psychodynamic right. and he said – sometimes to get one breakthrough with these clients to use psychodynamic theories might take three years oh my goodness. and that's yeah. how long it takes yeah he used yeah. to record sessions imagine uh, us recording sessions yeah. at aim like <laughs> ethically that is so wrong yes. yeah <laughs> we have so many boundaries that we can't that's it yeah imagine yeah. i i always think about it like imagine i sat here at taping or recording these sessions <laughs> yeah. what would happen yeah. but he also incorporated things like touch therapy mm. so i'm interested to know what that's all about because yeah. you know studying in our postgrad especially in ethics they were like strictly do not accept gifts from your clients mm. do not shake hands do not have touch therapy and then you go into the real world and you work with some really amazing talent and they do incorporate certain things and they say you know Oh, well, you can accept gifts because that might ruin your therapeutic relationship yeah. with your client. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who's already really vulnerable. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and break down their confidence. And it's just like, yeah. Where, what do we do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. When do we follow it? When do exactly. we not? Exactly. Which is a great it's segue. Constant dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great segue to what we wanted to talk about next. Okay. Before that, um, Eleanor has just said that, uh, Sally, you have a lovely radio voice, very flowy. So thank you. Oh, thank you that. so much. Um, so, yeah, t- tell me about maybe your experience with, with ethics or what if you found any difficulties or dilemmas or what's what's been your experience there? Um, ethics I actually I'm constantly in dilemma of what to follow and what to not because Mm -hmm. when you're learning it it's very black and white yeah 
and then when you're actually working it, it's a great area mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah. Um, I find referral processes really difficult. Mm. Um, so as you know, counsellors work with psychologists, yep. they work with psychiatrists. Yeah. It's a, a, a big care team yep. that's involved mm-hmm. in helping someone feel better and get better yep. and look after their health. Mm-hmm. And I find that when I have to make those referrals, like especially in letters, because you know that your client's going to read these referral letters. Mm. It's like how much information to, do I include? Do I give them my case notes? Mm. Like is yeah. this going to break down? And it's happened like the reason why I'm bringing it up is because I worked so hard on a relationship with a client once we spent weeks and weeks and weeks just building up the therapeutic relationship and getting her to trust me Mm -hmm. and then you know you have a you have a, a supervisor who, you know, it's a business at the end of the day and yeah. they need to tick their boxes as well. Yeah. So if someone has is high suicide yeah. and you need to refer them mm-hmm. because you want to make sure if something happens, you're not the last person that they spoke yeah. to, you know, mm-hmm. and you've got other people in the support system. Yeah. Um, it, that actually ruined our relationship when I made yeah. that referral. She never came back. Yeah. Wow. So I was in a dilemma like whether yeah. to follow – the business side of things mm-hmm. and, you know, covering yourself yeah. as a business yeah. or if I continue on creating yeah. and developing the trust between yeah. us. Yeah. So I'm constantly in a dilemma. Yeah. It's really easy to say if someone's high suicide, you need to refer them and do a suicide ris- risk assessment. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when you introduce this to yeah. the client, that can completely ruin the work that you've done. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sure. ethically the dilemma that I'm constantly yeah. served with. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is is really tough, Um, you know, even me sort of being on the phone, um, you know, you don't really, you know, they've kind of trusted you with all this information. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, we do have that kind of business obligation somewhat and, and yeah, like when we learned about ethics and stuff in school, it's just so this these rules you need to follow yeah these registration but um when you're in practice practice it's 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 like more complicated it is so complicated yeah and that's what i'm trying to learn like when do you put the business aside yeah and when do you tick those boxes yeah because you know it's easy to think when you're learning it okay if someone's high suicide you can refer them on to a psychiatrist especially if they've got undiagnosed issues Mm -hmm. and you can see that through the assessments that you've done yeah but it's like that's the cbt way yeah cognitive i shouldn't say cbt kind of cognitive behavioral therapy thinking yes um but it's like i don't want to do a questionnaire on this person there's so much more yeah and I want yeah. to treat them like a human being. Yeah. Does it, yeah. It, it sounds like it feels restrictive. It is, definitely. Yeah. yeah. What do you think on that? No, I, I agree. It's, um, you know, as much as, as I can remember from the ethics classes, I think um, people are just so complex and there's no one way of doing things. And um, definitely there are those extremes of where you shouldn't go in terms of um having a relationship with them or you know you know counseling family members or friends you know there's there's a lot of ethics around that um which you know i've I've spoken about kind of the line between being a counselor Mm -hmm. but also being a support person for someone yeah that can incorporate some techniques of counseling Mm -hmm. but you need to put up those boundaries um you know even with the, those types of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is really, you know, 
it, it can be easy to slip into being a counsellor for, for everyone. Yeah. Um, so it, it does take a lot to kind of recognise that and, and know where your responsibility lies with people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think boundaries are so important yeah. and I think I can't stress this enough, yeah. but even holding things like um, the person accountable for how late they are yeah. or fees. Because yeah. as you know, especially working with the NDIS, some people can't afford to pay all the yeah. time, especially low socioeconomic yeah. areas where mm-hmm. you're working. And it's like like ethically you want to yeah. not charge them, but it's still a business. Yeah. And yeah. I think the frame model, um, one of my supervisors introduced the frame model, mm-hmm. which is a psychodynamic theory. Right. And it's things like, modeling a perfect environment Mm -hmm. in your sessions with your client Mm -hmm. so they can once you model it they can use that environment in their everyday life so that's putting up boundaries with time fees Mm. if they're late Mm -hmm. making them understand that you're not going to go over time and that's what they have Mm -hmm. and that's the best way it's actually really effective for change if you Mm -hmm. give them the boundaries themselves. Because, you know, people with mental health, they're all over the place sometimes, Mm. you know. um, Their brain, um, you know, it's not that structured. So to put that structure in your sessions, Mm -hmm. they can incorporate that in their everyday life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> so um yeah so thanks for for sharing all of that and we sort of had a good discussion yeah about, um everything like that and um, we'll definitely talk about more models in the future yes, as well Yeah, we'll go more in in depth into kind of other things that, yeah. that we've found and that we've learned and things like that um even um you know where we are planning to kind of look at different types of mental health issues and yeah. different approaches so you know keep, keep an eye on for, for um, episodes like that but um, so and we'll also put up some resources I think if anyone is struggling with their mental health yeah. at the moment yeah and we'll give you some resources and tools you can use yeah well, what I might do is, is put up that resource you mentioned about the perma model yeah um, okay. with, with the link to this podcast yeah, I'm it happy should, to share yeah it should come up um, tomorrow so so keep an eye on that and um, it sh- should be all there yeah. Um, so yeah. So thanks so much, Sally, for for joining me today, and also as a, as a co-host for the next um, for the future of the council corner. Um, I always had an end date there. I was worried, Mandy. <laughs> no, forever, <laughs> um, forever. Wow, um, love it. And thank you, everyone um, who is listening for listening. Um, so yeah. So as 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 I mentioned, just a heads up, Sally will now be joining me as a co-host um, for further episodes um and please if you guys still had questions or comments or feedback um please reach out to the counseling corner facebook page and we will do our best to respond in the best way that we can Mm -hmm. um and And even if you have a question we're happy to help you out behind closed doors yeah we can't do counseling obviously no No, we can't provide counseling Uh, on air we're putting up that boundary yeah we're putting (laughs) up that boundary but if you do need um a counselor we can definitely help you out in the future you can message us yeah so uh, yeah and as mentioned last year we do have some really exciting things planned um for for the next um for further episodes so please keep an eye out on the socials for what's to come um and uh thank you again we'll just end um the show with a song that um is going to become our new intro but we'll just sort of um you know start the year off with this um great song that we um, have plans so thank you very much i hope you enjoy it oh and before we we um get into that 
Um, another <laughs> message from Eleanor that says, yay, love that Sally is a co-host Dream Team. So oh, thank you, thank you Eleanor. That's very sweet of <laughs> you. Yes, very nice. Thank you also to my lovely fiancé for helping us um, co-host a bit. Not co-host, um, produce uh, a Producer, bit. And help definitely. us um, with, all the, amazing. with the tech side of everything. And, um, yeah, so thank you very much and uh, catch ya. Why would I spend the rest of this year alone? When I can go therapy, when I can go therapy, when I can go therapy two times a day. Why would I spend the rest of this week so bitter? And all that listening is making you bitter too. When I can go therapy, when I can go therapy, when I can go therapy two times a day.